Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. We've been on this three-week uh, series. Last, last week we had a break and we come back into this final part. Uh, quickly just recap, week one we, we talked about having this paradigm shift when everything in you changes for the benefit and, and of your life, knowing that it, it advances something in the future. Even when you leave this place, this earth, it continues on, this paradigm shift. But, you know, and we were looking at it in, in, this, in the eyes of, of um, the Word of God. In a paradigm, week one, we looked at a paradigm shift in Christ. When you have a paradigm and shift, uh, shift in Christ, I tell you, you will never be the same again. I say that uh, with, with, with all my heart of, of a paradigm shift that God has done in my life over the many years. You know, I have family here. I mean, you know my sister, Sissy. You know, I've got my younger sister, Souvenir. Souvenir, can you just wave? Um, <laughs> I'm going to embarrass her. You know, she, and, and we, we grew up together um, as well. And you want to know any stories about how I was as a Christian? Uh, don't go ask her, okay? Please. <laughs> um, she can tell you those stories of, of how I was. But then God just done this major shift in my life that I know deep down I'm, I'm a different person because of him. It was a paradigm shift in Christ. Week two, we looked at a paradigm shift in church. And a paradigm shift in church um, it's quite a, pra- I, you know, I brought it in a very practical way, and I remember that verse uh, in Hebrews, uh, you know, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's sad that people don't meet in fellowship, but it's quite common in the churches today. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so that was a paradigm shift in church, the encouragement of why church is important on a Sunday. Because the Western world today don't see church as important anymore. And let's be honest, probably a lot of us are drifting that way as well. The danger of drifting into that because we're so familiar now that it's, life is busy. Life will always be busy. Life is going to get busier. Um, and the enemy, if he can make us busy, then he's got us. And, there's, and the whole point of coming together is not to, I mean, yes, to hang out, but it's to experience and enjoy the presence of God all in unity. And seeing your brother and your sister and your, maybe your dad or even your young child raising their hands, worshiping God. You don't see that in the week, but you get to see that here, physically. Doesn't that encourage you? It encourages us when we're on stage and there's, you are all just worshiping in your way. And I'm not saying you have to raise your hands just to try and I better show Ulu that I'm worshipping and I'm actually listening. It's not about that. We can sense, and you probably sense it as well, God's presence in your life. And I pray, we were praying that as we were worshipping this morning, our team was praying, Lord, speak to each and every one here as we just sing to you. And I hope that happened to you this morning as we were worshipping. You know, before I start today's sermon, uh, we got this video ready. Um, I'd, I'd like to, to, to begin with this old TV commercial. It was in 1991. Um, anyone who, who was born? Anyone? Probably some half of the church in here wasn't even born um, at that time. Um, 
But in 1991, and I remember back in those days, I was 15. Remember how I said I'm not good with numbers? Um, I know I was 15 because I asked my wife, how old was I? Mine, you know, 2018, mine, you're 15, come on. So I was 15 at the time, 15 years of age. And I had a bunch of friends that I used to go to this, this school that I, that, I, that I got a scholarship to leave um, back in the day. But, you know, this particular school is where Ken is loyal. He will die for that school even to this day. And I was there with a couple of friends. Uh, and this commercial, it hadn't come out in New Zealand. You know, we didn't, back then it was only like three channels, TV channels back then. You couldn't get anything else. But we... We, somehow we saw this commercial, I think it maybe may have been through someone's video cassette. Well, some young ones have no idea what that is. And, and when me and my friends, a couple of my friends, we saw this for the very first time, this ad, we knew that that was the answer to everything. Um, and maybe some of you might remember this commercial, and l let me just play this uh, commercial for you behind me. Um, this was a well-known ad in, in 1991, obviously with Michael Jordan. I'm assuming everyone knows Michael Jordan, right? You probably got a pair of his shoes you're wearing right now. And, you know, the thing about this was, so the point of this ad um, is if you want to be like Michael Jordan, all you have to do is drink Gatorade. Now, we didn't need back then, we, when we saw this ad, we're thinking, man, we don't need to watch videos of, of, you know, Jordan's technique and skill of how to jump and, and shoot and, and dunk like him. And, and it's not even about buying all the different, you know, his kicks or the different pairs of shoes that of each year to play like him, um, even though some of us did buy shoes thinking we'd play like him um, back in those days. And, and if you were going to, you know, imitate uh, Michael Jordan, we figured it out that it was the drink. We thought, man, it's all about the Gatorade. That's all we need. If only that was true. <laughs> we honestly, one of my particular friends, <laughs> uh, he was a bit, he was probably the richest guy out of all of us. And somehow he was able to import some of this drink back then. Because back then, Gatorade was never, they didn't sell it in New Zealand. And so he thought, man, if I can get some of that, it should work. And he never shared it with anybody. <laughs> you know, it was like, no, 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 I can't give. And so um, we'd have to steal some of him from time to time. However, like I said, if only that was true. Now, when I, I think about imitating and dedicating this whole life of ours to Michael Jordan back then, I think about how we dedicate our lives to Jesus. You know, the whole point is for us to imitate him, right? You know, Paul in the, in the Word talks about himself. Paul talks about himself and he says, you know, imitate me, uh, follow my example, just as I imitate and follow Christ is my example. And we read in the Bible of these, these fishermen and they're following Jesus for, you know, three plus years. And they're learning about this, this new, at the time, you've got to remember at this time um, in the Bible, we had the Bible, they they were the Bible, living Bible at the time. But they were learning about this new radical way of living and becoming loyal followers of Christ. 
And they would watch in amazement and, and see and hear everything Jesus does and teaches. You know, miracles, his healings, casting out of demons. Um, he's winning these theological debates with the religious leaders of that community. And from all these great examples they encountered, it amazes me to know that out of all the things that these disciples could have asked for, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And, and what, what, did the, I mean, what did the disciples see that made them ask Jesus to teach them about praying? You know, why didn't they ask to learn how, how to cast out evil spirits from people? I mean, that's definitely something I would have asked for. I mean, how do you do that, Lord? That's pretty cool. Or, or what about turning water into wine? And all of you guys, yeah, if only we could have learned that one. You know, Jesus, he taught that, the, he taught that to the disciples. Um, and and um, what about if, if they asked Jesus to, to teach them how to create food out of nothing so they could just feed multiples of, of people? Wouldn't that make you famous in today's society? Families that struggle with having no food to feed their kids, man, that sure would be useful for us today. But instead, there was something that the disciples saw about Jesus in the way that he prayed. You know, throughout Scripture, you will find Jesus. He's constant. Man, he is constantly praying in public before people, uh, before eating. He would pray for the food. Um, he'd pray before um, important decisions. You know, there was one time he had to choose the 12 disciples. He prayed all night. Then he came and then he chose the 12. You know, he would, his prayer was, was key for Jesus when, when miracles happened. You know, he healed a deaf and mute man. He, he raised his cousin Lazarus from the dead. But before doing those things, he prayed to God. He prayed for children. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for the lost and the confused. And you read throughout Scripture, yet many times if you look at Jesus, his prayer life, right, it's actually easy to miss. It's like Jesus, his, his prayer life is only mentioned throughout the Bible. It's actually mentioned in passing throughout different stories. A story in the book of Luke. You know, Jesus heals a man of leprosy, and the towns soon hear about this, and the crowds, they, they, they come looking for Jesus so they can be healed as well with their sicknesses. But right after healing this man of leprosy, before the crowds come even looking for him, you know, Luke, Luke he writes, uh, the crowds of people, they came to hear Jesus. They also came to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus withdrew himself into the desert to pray. You know, another well-known story probably many Christians would know is Jesus that feeds 5,000 people. And he, and he uses a kid's pretty much his lunch pack, right? That lunch pack was only enough for this little kid. Uh, the five loaves and the two fish. And Jesus, he takes it, he prays to God, and then a miracle happens to feed 5,000 people. And in Matthew 14, 23, it goes, after he had done this, he goes, after Jesus had sent the crowds, this 5,000, away, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
In the Gospel of Mark, um, you know, we read how Jesus is healing so many sick people in town and he's healing uh, demon-possessed people and straight away these people would become believers in his ministry. Yet once again, right after healing all these kinds of sicknesses that day, even the Gospel of Mark talks about what Jesus is doing the next morning. In Mark 1, it says, it was very early in the morning. This was after he had done all these healings, and it was still dark. Jesus, he got up, and he left the house. He went to a place where he could be alone, and there he prayed. And Simon and his friends went looking for Jesus. And when they found him, they said, man, everyone's looking for you. Where have you been? The disciples, they, in this part of Scripture, they weren't interested in what Jesus was up to. They probably didn't even know at the time he was praying. They, they were just too busy worrying about the crowds that came looking for Jesus because Jesus was now famous and the disciples knew to take that advantage of that fame. These are just some examples of Jesus and his prayer life. Now, if I never, for myself, if I never stopped to think about how Jesus prayed, I would have probably missed these little moments written throughout the Gospels of how the majority, if not all, of Christ's work was based around a life of prayer. And some of you, and, and, and including myself, may be sitting here thinking, duh. Well, of course, Taolu, that's, that's common sense, that prayer is, is the key to our Christian life. My question is, is it? Really? Is your prayer life so subtle that it doesn't even exist at all? How many times do you pray a day? Are you still praying even when things are hard in your life right now? How often do you pray about the things happening in your life right now? What do those prayers look like to you? Do you feel guilty to even pray sometimes because your life, it doesn't match Christ-like living? So you think it's wrong to ask God for help at this time because you feel he's not answering me, or he won't. And with our time together this morning, I want to share about having a paradigm shift in prayer. And my hope is that by the end of the sermon, we will all be challenged to make the shift in our prayer life for 2019 and see it grow in our lives this year, and even watch it get better every year after that. How serious is your prayer life? And if I bring you back to the disciples, remember they're asking Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. The question, what then did the disciples' prayer life, listen to me here, if that's what they asked, what then did the disciples' prayer life look like in the time they were following Jesus around? How did the disciples pray? The answer to the question, that question, is they didn't. <laughs> Nowhere in any of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, will you read about the prayer life of the disciples. It's interesting, out of all things they ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Yet the, that one thing they asked for to be taught, yet they never prayed themselves. And I guess 
if you were spending every day, think about this, if you were in their shoes, if you were spending every day with Jesus like the disciples did, seeing him do all these miracles, uh, watching him walk on water, you know, turn water into wine, these these were extreme situations in their ministry time with Jesus. And so they would have thought, oh, well, there's actually really no point in praying when you have Jesus right there to deal with every obstacle and every difficult problem that's in front of us. And it's like, oh, man, oh, you know, you're probably walking with the disciples and saying, oh, no, here comes that demon-possessed girl again. You know, here she comes. Oh, hang on. It's all good. We have Jesus. Go get him, Jesus. Team Jesus, yeah. You know, man, how are we going to feed, again, all these people that have come to listen to Jesus? Hang on. Man, no worries. Just go find that kid again. He's probably in this crowd. That kid with the five loaves and the two fish. You know, just, just grab his lunch. I know he cried the last time we took it off him, but it doesn't matter. Just bully it off him again. Just bring it. You know, we'll just get Jesus to turn that into another buffet line like he did the last time. It's all sorted. Go, Jesus. For the three plus years, we don't have any record of the disciples praying during his ministry time. Then near the end of Jesus' ministry, he gets arrested. And this is, you know, the disciples, they see this with their own eyes. They watch him be humiliated before the very same crowds that he fed and healed and ministered to. They see his death on the cross. They see his resurrection. But get this, they then see his ascension. And this is when things begin to change for them. They're about to experience a paradigm shift. When Jesus was living with them, right, on earth, doing life with them, the disciples, they didn't need to pray because Jesus dealt with all the problems. But as Jesus leaves them, as he ascends and he tells them not to worry because he's leaving them with the help of the Holy Spirit, yet they still ask Jesus before he ascends. This is what they ask him in Acts 1.6. Lord, are you at this time, are you, are you going to, before you leave, are you going to restore the kingdom back? to Israel, back to us. And he tells them, hey, nah, you are the ones who will be restoring God's kingdom. You're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to hand over the baton of responsibility to you to continue the work that I have shown and, and, and I have modeled before you when we live together during our time of ministry. It's time for you to go to the ends of earth, of the earth, and you to continue this good work. And so as they watch Jesus ascend to heaven, the disciples leave and they head home. And this is at the time when we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And this is what it says at verse, let me read it at verse 13. When the disciples returned to Jerusalem after seeing Jesus ascend, they went upstairs to the room where they were all staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas, which is the son of James, a different Judas. But verse 14, this is what it says. 
In one accord, they all joined together constantly in prayer. There is now a need for them to pray. There is such panic that it now causes them to pray. Why is that? Because they have never had to do the work of Jesus before until this very moment. There is no more Team Jesus <laughs> present anymore. I'm sorry, but Gatorade is not the answer to becoming like Mike. I realized that after six months, especially when I never had any. You're on your own, buddy. <laughs> well, not really. You know, see, straight after leaving the place where Jesus ascends to heaven, we read the beginning of, of the prayer life of the disciples. And they probably looked around the room, right, when they were up in that upper room, and they looked at each other and said, yeah, you can't replace Jesus. And then they're looking at Peter, no, 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 you, you denied him, so you're the bottom of the list, bro. None of them were able to fill the shoes of Christ. So the solution that they came up with was to pray. And it doesn't stop there. Soon after we learn of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, and as more and more people are taught about this radical Jesus idea at that time in their, in their life, there's more and more in awe of this new life of being a follower of Jesus. And the numbers, they begin to grow where it's a fellowship. It becomes a fellowship of believers of this new Jesus movement. And that's how you start to see this term, the early church or the first church. And, and what is happening when all these believers are together in Acts chapter 2, this is what's happening. happening. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. But verse 42 is the key. They devoted themselves to the disciples, to their teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There was a need of a paradigm shift in prayer. Jesus had given the disciples the role to now do what they saw him do and teach others to do the same. And if God didn't, look, if God didn't show himself strong, they would have looked like fools. They had nothing to show for. They knew now that they couldn't accomplish any of these things unless God supernaturally empowered them. So their prayers are, are important to them now because there was no other option for them to see God show up. And what was once a small group praying, right, upstairs in that room where they were all staying together, reaching to 3,000 people. And then if you read further in the book of Acts, people have been added on a daily basis. And this Jesus movement now grows to about 5,000 believers in such a, a small time. They're now needing more leaders now to help with the growth of this new movement. And we read in how these leaders are chosen amongst the believers. And as these new leaders are uh, chosen, it's the disciples that they come along and they lay hands on them and they pray for them and they release them. There is a paradigm shift in the prayer life of the disciples.
The early church of believers of, of the Jesus movement has been, you know, later on, they become, getting, they, they get persecuted by all these anti-Christ people in, in, in the Roman Empire at that time. And we begin to see all these believers, they're all forced to scatter because of persecution. And so they all go on the run. And further in the book of Acts, one of the disciples, many that you know, would know of, if, if, you know, through the Gospels, is Peter. Peter, at this time, um, in Acts chapter 12, Peter is on death row. He's about to get killed. He's in prison, and they're killing him because of what he's doing, just this radical movement of Christ. And there's already some of the other disciples at this time were already martyred. They were already, already killed for just radically preaching about Jesus. And meanwhile, as Peter is in prison on death row, there is a group of believers elsewhere praying for a miracle for, for the release of Peter. And in Acts chapter 12, um, you read, you know, so Peter, he, he was kept in prison, but this is the part in verse 5, but the church, the people, were earnestly praying to God for him. And lo and behold, God miraculously frees Peter out of prison before they could persecute him and kill him. And, you know, he escapes prison unharmed. He goes to one of the houses where he knows other believers are there. And it mentions that they are gathered together praying for, Pe for Peter as well. And as soon as they open the door, it says in verse 16 of chapter 12, they were astonished. Yet they were praying for that very time. They're praying for Peter and then Peter comes knocking on the door. At first, they didn't believe it was him until they actually opened the door and saw. What a miracle through prayer. Can you see the paradigm shift in the way the disciples are living and teaching, you know, but living out what Jesus had told them to do? They are the ones now healing the sick, casting out demons, sharing about the kingdom of God, teaching people of how Jesus is everything they have been waiting on, you know, from what the prophets of the old have been prophesying about. Some more religious leaders. I mean, there's so many religious leaders, they're just jealous at this time. They're jealous because they hate the fact that these disciples, who are just fishermen, seem well-educated. You know, they have come to know the laws of God, and that they're able to teach it in a way that even the common people would believe and understand. And they are the ones that you read through the book of Acts being killed for sharing this radical movement of Jesus. And they, they, were a diff, you know, they were different now that they had to do the work that Jesus used to do with them. Yet the starting point was prayer. It was the understanding of the importance of prayer that made it possible for all their work to succeed. Now, once again, you may sit here and say, of course, Ulu, prayer, that's common sense for us in our Christian life. And so my question again, are you sure? Really? This is what I would like to propose, and I would like to challenge each and every one of us here this morning. Hear me out when I share this, because this is going to require 
a paradigm shift in your prayer life. We have read and learned about so many examples of the prayer life of Jesus. You know, he modeled the, the type of ways we can pray or who we should pray for and even how we should pray. You know, we learned how the disciples, how they didn't pray, you know, until Jesus left them. He ascended and then he passed the baton to, to carry on the good work. And all of a sudden, prayer became desperate for them. They eventually learned to pray for others and pray and see healings. Now they would, would watch this new Jesus, Jesus movement at the time grow from a small group of 11 disciples uh, to 5,000 loyal believers. We read of this miracle of Peter being released and harmed from prison as he was on death row, all because of other believers praying for him. Many of us here may know how to pray. Many of us probably pray every day, whether it's thanking God for our food or, or praying um, in the morning before you go to work or praying together with your spouse and kids before they go to bed. But this is the one paradigm shift in prayer that I've learned from all of this. And I believe for us to see God move in ways that you and I have never seen Him move in our lives this year for 2019, it will require coming to pray together corporately as a community of people. You see, it's easy for any of us to pray on our own. And that's great. But what kind of shift could we make in our prayers if we came together physically to pray? Did you notice that through all the different times as the disciples went out to do the work that Jesus passed on for them to do, that many of the prayers were done in a community setting? Now, I'm not saying that that's the only way, okay? Because God will definitely answer prayers even when, you, when you're alone. I mean, that, that definitely happens. I think we're all witnesses of it. I think we've, we've prayed alone and we've seen God move in, in our lives and in the things that we pray for. But when, when was it the last time you prayed with a group of other fellow believers? When was it the last time you came together with brothers and sisters to pray for situations that needed a miracle? You know, current statistics in America indicates that 95% of Christians pray by themselves. Do you know how much percent pray collectively as a church community? 2%. And you're probably, okay, so that doesn't add up. Well, 3%, uh, the other three is if you, 3% of, of this, you know, these stats are people that pray with somebody else. So it could be your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. But only 2% come together corporately as a church to pray. And I think this statistic would be pretty much the same in many other Western cult cultured churches, including our church here. And so this is my paradigm shift in prayer I want us to fight for this year, okay? And this is it here. Would you be willing, you now, would you be willing to add 
to your prayer life, this new proposal I'm going to ask for each and every one of you to do. Maybe it's going to involve moving things around to make it work, and I hope I can accommodate for you as well. Would you consider adding to your timetable of your busy life? We're all busy. I understand that. But of your busy life, and make and may, you know, it may require adjustments here and there, but would you be willing to add to your timetable to join us at least once a month this year on Tuesday night when we have prayer together at church? Once a month. You. Not uh, my wife or my husband will go on behalf. No, you. Now, when you think about it, if I'm asking once a month, it's probably about, we've already passed Feb, and we probably won't have corporate prayer in December. So now we're locking it down to only 10 times a year, you turning up on one of those Tuesdays every month. Now, you may need to go away from today and pray about it on your own. Because it seems like we're all good at praying by ourselves, <laughs> according to statistics, right? I need you to seek and ask God to give you this revelation for this paradigm shift for your prayer life by adding community prayer to your lifestyle. I'm not asking of this so that I can show off to others and, and uh, my leadership, my, my bosses, and show, oh, well, this is how many people will turn up to prayer now. Not 100 people. It's not about that. It'll be cool to have 100 people. But you know me, it's never been about numbers. My purpose is for us to take prayer more seriously this year and follow the examples of Jesus and how he modeled prayer. Because let's be honest, many of us act like how the disciples did with Jesus. Lord, teach me. Teach me how to pray. But the honest truth, many of us have never really experienced prayer life with brothers and sisters in, in, in a corporate setting for a long time now. Or maybe you haven't done it at all. I would love to see God, um, you know, to see what God could do with a church that went to war together in prayer. If we are called to have a warrior spirit in what we do for Jesus, and prayer is where our battlefield is situated, wouldn't it not make sense to go in as an army of warriors fighting together? Let me give you another paradigm shift in, in, in your prayer life to think about. If we were to bring all these things together, what Jesus did and taught, what the disciples did and the experience of prayer in their lives, you know, you can pray at night, you can pray during the day, you can pray for big decisions, um, you can pray in private, uh, you can pray persistently, you can pray for boldness, you can pray for open doors to share the gospel, pray for all types of people and authority, um, and pray for just these ridiculous expectations. Does that describe your prayer life today? And if it does, then how much more would God move of those prayers if you came together with others in unity to pray? 
If your prayer life isn't like that, though, then how much more important is it for you to join others to grow your paradigm shift in your personal prayer life? You and I, we can fall into the idea of how the disciples were with Jesus, where they didn't need prayer. They didn't need to pray because Jesus was there with them. Yeah, team Jesus. You know, let him do all the work because I don't need to do anything. We got Jesus on my side. Well, let me add here, corporate prayer, coming together to pray as a church, it has become like that. Many of us here even in the Western world um, don't pray because we don't have to. Why is that? Because other people do it for me. I don't think that's what God intended us to be like as a church family. So can you experience a paradigm shift? You know, so, so can, you know, can we? Can we all experience a paradigm shift and become a praying church together this year? Most Sundays, you know, last year, I would remind you all that we have this prayer box, right? And this was my way of easing in to get to this sermon today. Every Sunday, there's a prayer box. If you're welcome to add your prayers in, give us an excuse to go to war for you. And we were so blessed that we would come to war on a Tuesday night with people's prayer requests, some of them anonymous, which I asked them to be, and there's nothing wrong with that. But would you be able to this year, not only put your prayers into that box, but come to prayer that very same week and join us in the battle that you are fighting and not fight alone or, or get others to fight for you? I mean, please, please hear me. I'm not saying this because I think you're a stink Christian. <laughs> Even I've had to develop my prayer life and most of my growth and my maturity in Christ um, and, and my growth in prayer, you know, has been happening pretty much ever since I started pastoring <laughs> five years ago. And so why was prayer so important? Why has it become important to pray, you know, prayer in my life? Well, because my life at that time, it took a paradigm shift in realizing how much I needed God to move in my life like never before. And some final words I want to say here. If every nation south side, now I'm talking about this church, if every nation south side is called to be a church to make an impact for the kingdom of God in our community here and beyond to the regions of the South Pacific and then further out into the world that God has called us to reach, also, you know, I mean, it won't be achieved by a great Sunday service. In my awesome preaching. Thank you for agreeing with me on that one. Just nod your head if you don't. But you know, it won't be achieved by our great Sunday services that we have here. It won't be because our effective discipleship groups and even our home groups that I was encouraging us all to go to, it won't even be because of our future plans that God has given us for what every nation Southside is called to be for this amazing community. It will be because of the paradigm shift in the way we pray. 
And so, I don't know about you, but this paradigm shift was a, a New Year's sort of series, right? And it's hit me so hard. <laughs> it's like, what kind of encouraging New Year's, you know, plans are these? Well, it all works if you first have a paradigm shift in Christ. Because I hope with the paradigm shift in Christ, it humbles you to hear what's been set up here. It humbles me to even share it. Yet it's hard. Because <laughs> I know everyone's lives are busy. And so I'm now I'm asking for something else of you, of your time. Is there something that you could do to see God move? There's this one verse, Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, what will happen? I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal this land. Will you join me this year? I don't care where your life is, what situation you may be walking through. Hear me when I say I don't care. What I mean is I care if you're doing drugs or you're having sex, you're doing all these things that you know are ungodly. I care for you there. But with that, with that baggage and that weight that you feel you may feel that it's wrong I don't care about that I want you to come to prayer come and join me come and teach me and whether you're on fire for God what more better that we have brothers and sisters in one accord fighting this good fight so don't allow the enemy lie to you and say you can't pray because you're messed up you pray because you're messed up, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't even be thinking like that. Let God mess with you this year in such an amazing way. And I can't wait for God to do some things. I don't know about you, but we know, we sense God is doing something amazing in your lives. I'm so grateful. Let us pray. Father, I